You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, June 6th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Local law enforcement agencies report another presumed drowning in the South Yuba River as warnings continue to stay out of the water. Governor Gavin Newsom is threatening Florida Governor Ron DeSantis with kidnapping charges. You'll get the details in today's California report. Hydrologist Steve Baker unpacks the contradictions of our water situation in a talk with Paul Emery. And we end with a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. In a tweet posted yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom appears to threaten Florida governor and Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis with kidnapping charges, citing in the tweet California's kidnapping law. Newsom also calls DeSantis a, quote, small, pathetic man. Newsom's tweet comes in the wake of a second group of South American migrants arriving in Sacramento from out of state. The migrants journey to California on a chartered jet seems to have been facilitated by the state of Florida, according to the California Department of Justice. No word yet on what kind of legal action California might take against DeSantis or Florida. Florida has been involved in the transport of migrants to other states, like Massachusetts, where a group arrived at Martha's Vineyard. Meanwhile, Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg says he's proud of the way community groups and local officials are stepping up to aid the dozens of bewildered migrants who've arrived in his city in recent days. Here's KQED's Tyke Hendricks. The first plane came Friday, carrying 16 Colombians and Venezuelans who had been in Texas. A second flight with the same carrier landed Monday with about 20 people, and all carried documents indicating the state of Florida arranged their transportation. That's according to the California Attorney General's office, which has launched an investigation. Steinberg suggested the immigrants were being used as political pawns, but he said the city is helping organize housing, food, and legal aid. Sacramento is going to do everything it can to care for these vulnerable people who were dropped off at our doorsteps. No matter what the terrible motivation was from whoever did this, Meanwhile, a Boston legal team that's already suing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for flying asylum seekers to Martha's Vineyard last year is in Sacramento. Yvonne Espinoza Madrigal is with Lawyers for Civil Rights. The movement of migrants across state lines in private planes, those facts seem to point in similar dynamics in Martha's Vineyard and Sacramento. DeSantis's office did not respond to requests for comment. For the California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Eviction cases are piling up in Los Angeles County courtrooms, especially now that the county's COVID protections have been gone for two months. In Los Angeles, LAist housing reporter David Wagner visited eviction court to see how renters are faring. Lawyers, renters, and landlords are pacing around a long marble hallway on the sixth floor of the Stanley Moss Courthouse in downtown L.A. They're waiting to go before a judge who will decide if tenants can stay in their current housing or get locked out. Okay, Department 91, come on in. 
Renter Esmeralda Pocasangre says her landlord is unfairly demanding $20,000 in back rent. I do dispute it. We have been paying rent, so they changed the amount, so they're stating that we were supposed to pay a different amount. She says the rent-controlled building where she lives with her mom and grandmother in South L.A. was recently sold. Then came a large, unexplained demand for more rent. We still, till this point, don't know who the landlord is. The family's attorney, Sebastian Bendek with the Legal Aid Foundation of L.A., says the landlord has failed to document what his clients supposedly owe. I just need it laid out how they come to $20,000 or that was just pulled out of their pocket. Inside the courtroom, cases move fast. Lawyers barge in and out, observers talk over the proceedings, and tenants struggle to understand hearings that can last fewer than five minutes. One older man without a lawyer is given seven days to move out. Speaking in Spanish and clearly distraught, he asks the judge if he and his wife should buy a tent. In the Pocasangres hearing, the judge sides with the renters and gives their landlord five days to submit more paperwork. All right, good luck to both of you. Out in the hallway, Pocasangre says she's relieved. I felt like the judge actually heard what the attorney had to say. I felt like if it was the other way around and we had to speak for ourselves, it would have gone differently. Eviction court, in a lot of ways, is the front lines of the homelessness crisis. Kyle Nelson is a UCLA postdoctoral fellow who studies eviction trends in L.A. He says filings this March were higher than any other March going back to 2015. Courts are going to get backlogged, and usually when this happens, tenants are the ones that really don't come out ahead. According to a UCLA study, 95 percent of L.A. landlords have a lawyer. But Nelson says the vast majority of tenants are unrepresented. They tend to get steamrolled. Outside the courtroom, I stopped to talk with landlord attorney Sherman Shu. So I've been doing uh, eviction work for about 20 years. Shu works for Dennis Block & Associates, one of L.A.'s most prominent eviction firms. I ask him how he feels seeing so many tenants get evicted without legal help. I understand that many tenants may be homeless after going through an eviction process. I don't represent them. You know, I represent a landlord who is trying to survive, uh, trying to supplement the income. L.A. only has a few dozen eviction defense lawyers for the thousands of cases filed each month. L.A. City Council is now considering a program that would give many tenants free attorneys. But for now, renters like Xavier Clark have to navigate these complex proceedings on their own. I can kind of understand certain things, but just got to do research to understand and fight back. No final decision was made in Clark's case. In the courtroom with his wife and infant daughter, Clark noticed the judge joking around with attorneys who show up for case after case. But when he tried to ask the judge about legal help, he says the tone shifted. And he just said, OK, the hearing is over. That's it. Good luck to you. For Clark, the judge's ruling could have lasting consequences. If he gets evicted from his apartment, he's not sure where his family will go. For The California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. Support for The California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from HintWater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, 
through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that is this edition of the California Report for Tuesday, June 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. In regional news, a 20-year-old Stockton man has been missing since Sunday afternoon after presumably drowning in the Yuba River near Bridgeport. The man disappeared in the river around 4 p.m. Sunday. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office and Nevada County Consolidated Fire District said today in social media posts. A multi-agency search took place Monday involving sheriff's deputies, California State Parks officials, multiple fire departments, and a dive team. Nevada County Consolidated Fire District officials wrote on Facebook, after a lengthy and difficult search, the person was not located. Yet another unfortunate reminder of how unforgiving the river is. Searches remained ongoing today, the sheriff's office said. The presumed drowning would mark at least the second this year on the South Yuba River. A 17-year-old from Washington State died in April while kayaking on the river, Nevada County fire officials said. Sheriff's deputies wrote, We can't repeat the warning enough. Please stay out of the Yuba River. It is not safe for swimming at this time. The Nevada Irrigation District said today it has received more than a million dollars in funding from the Sierra Nevada Conservancy to reduce fire fuels and improve forest health near Jackson Meadows Reservoir. The $1,274,000 grant will go toward implementing the Upper Yuba Headwaters Forest Restoration Project. The NID statement, published today on Ubinet.com, said the project will remove fire fuels on about 400 acres of NID property. It is aimed at reducing the risk of catastrophic wildfire by improving forest and watershed health. Jackson Meadows Reservoir is at about 6,000 feet elevation in the upper headwaters of the Middle Fork Yuba River. And now to your regional forecast from the National Weather Service. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be mostly cloudy with a chance of showers and thunderstorms before 11 and a low of 53. Wednesday will be mostly sunny with a high near 71 and a chance of showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m. Wednesday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 53. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms, mainly before 11, otherwise partly cloudy with a low around 41. Wednesday will be partly sunny in the morning, with showers and thunderstorms likely after 11 a.m. The high Wednesday will be 68, the low 41. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, a chance of showers before midnight, with a low around 57. Wednesday will be sunny, with a high near 79. Wednesday night, partly cloudy, with a low around 58. From tonight through Wednesday night, southwest wind up to 14 miles per hour with gusts up to 18 miles per hour. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Our historic winter of precipitation unfolded against the backdrop of a decline in water over the long term. 
The state is still cleaning up from the massive snowfall, and rivers and streams remain treacherous. At the same time, laws are moving forward to curb water use statewide. In today's chat with KVMR's Paul Emery, hydrologist Steve Baker unpacks this California conundrum. This water news with Steve Baker is supported by clear water and filtration on rough and ready highway, Grass Valley. Steve, the, our winter snowfall, and it was considerable snowfall this That's year. That's true. Um, keeps giving us more to deal with, uh, I understand. And I've been hearing about that. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, it really has in all kinds of ways. Just uh, uh, heard most recently Caltrans is clearing deep snow on Highway 108 at Sonora Pass and Highway 120 going, you know, near Yosemite. And actually, Caltrans finally reached the summit last week. <laughs> it's a, it took a lot of effort to get there. They're using a snowcat to remove the top layers of snow, and then they come in behind that with snow blowers to remove the last, say, four to four and a half feet of snow all the way down the pavement. That's the strategy. But, um, you know, in some spots, you find that there are, is way over 10 feet of snow still remaining and melting, and, and so uh, they, they have to wait in those areas. So once the snow is removed, that's only the beginning. Now, they, after that, they have to remove all the damage uh, that, that has occurred. We're talking about, from avalanches, we're talking about broken pavement. We're talking about rock berms, signs, just a lot of different things. And as all this is happening, our, our creeks and streams, they continue to fill up with a whole boatload of water. So lots going on. Well, Steve, uh, see if you can figure this out. Uh, water is kind of a strange topic these days. I mean, we're talking about too much water, uh, but we're also talking about too little water um, at the same time. Uh, <laughs> explain that to yeah, our listeners. Scratch your head on that one. I know it's true. Uh, it's recognized by the scientists and most of our leaders that we're basically in a long-term water decline trend, all right, that is interrupted at times with these short periods of excessive precipitation like what we just went through. I think people, are, our leaders most, most uh, in particular, are, are recognizing that. Well, there are two new California bills that have recently cleared the California State Assembly. Those are AB 1572 and also AB 1573. Now, these bills are meant to curb water use for landscaping. Okay, we're talking about we're, we're anticipating drought, and we need to get rid of uh, some of those uses if we can during those periods of drought. And the uh, the low on the lowest uh, use on the totem pole right now seems to be landscaping outside. So, the bill is encouraging the use of more native plants, which we like to see, right? Both commercial and industrial areas. That's the focus, commercial and industrial areas, including parking lots. And also, they want to ban the use of potable water for irrigation on non-functional turf. Now, what does non-functional turf mean? I, I'm, I'm not real clear on that. I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's just for cosmetic, for, for the purposes of beauty, that may be the non-functional stuff. Anyhow, uh, the assembly member, Laura Friedman, she authored both of these bills. She's a Democrat from, from Burbank. Like, not, like, like most bills, the changes that you will see from these two bills will start slow and they'll ramp up through time. So right now, well, as of January 1st, 2026, or a few years out, we, uh, the goal is 25% local native plants are to be used in those areas. And then that will increase to 75% beginning January 1st, 2035. So it's a progression of events. But, hey, it starts now by uh, getting these, uh, 
new uh, assembly bills passed. Well, Steve, uh, one thing for sure, uh, that's the fact that our rivers and streams are dangerous right now for, for certain types of recreation that we're used to at this time of year. Can't oh, do bad it. News. It's bad Can't news. Can't do it. Yeah, you're right. I, in fact, I just heard of a 22-year-old man who recently drowned in the Kings River. And uh, I'm sure that's just one of, of many fatalities that have occurred already. The water conditions, they're really deceptive for those of you who aren't familiar with, with these changing conditions. So even though our days can get hot and the water looks mighty inviting, it's really a trap. Do not go there. What looks like slow water at the water surface is actually very fast water at depth. And we have a deeper, we have deeper creeks and streams and whatnot, rivers, and you can't see that. And you can't fight against the power of water. <laughs> Be very, very careful about this. Do not jump in any water right now. The water's really cold, so hypothermia is also a danger that you may not be thinking about. And uh, this water, it's going fast enough and powerfully enough that it's going to wash you downstream. Don't do it. Don't jump in the water right now. Stay away from the edge of the creeks, of our creeks and streams, for just a little while longer. I'm thinking a month or so, but really, it'll be announced. You will hear about it on KVMR and other, other places when it is safe to enjoy our rivers, creeks, and streams again. So everybody, be safe out there. Thank you, Steve. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Are the powers that be in Washington working at cross-purposes with Fed Chief Jerome Powell in his quest to cool inflation? That's the viewpoint of Mark Cuniberti in today's Money Matters commentary. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cuniberti. Listeners of this show will know that to curb our inflation problem, the Federal Reserve has to withdraw liquidity from the financial system in plain English because trillions of dollars were flooded into every town, city, and state to mitigate the economic damages from the COVID shutdowns. We now see all those dollars chasing up the price of everything from airline travel to zoo admissions and all things in between. It's an accepted fact that when central bankers print a lot of money, inflation is sure to follow. Just think Mexican peso. So now the Fed is using its monetary tools to sop up dollars, dampen consumer demand, and put the brakes on the economy, which will hopefully slow the rapid ascent of prices. The Fed's tools include raising interest rates, removing money from the banking system, tightening down on its credit facilities, and convincing Washington to cut back its spending. Raising interest rates from near zero to close to 5% in a year's time, and by using their other monetary tools, the Fed has started to see some improvement. Inflation rates have cooled, the stock market has pulled back some in the last year and a half, and the economy is indeed slowing. Even with its progress, the Fed is fighting other things that have occurred, which is making their job much more difficult. Washington has no intention of shutting off the free money spigot and has tossed another $5 trillion or so into the 
streets of America in the last year. Washington's lack of fiscal responsibility must have Federal Reserve Chief Jerome Powell pulling his hair out while he's trying to remove money from the system. Washington is putting it back in. We are also realizing money from the generous COVID payments that went to every Tom, Dick, Mary, and Harry were lavish, and consumers have been spending their massive savings built up during the COVID event. Being shut in, there were a few places they could spend all that free money, and now that the fiasco of the shutdowns are gone, thank goodness there, people are out and about and in the mood to spend, and they are spending. Compounding the Fed's effort is the recent rash of bank failures. Realizing a single bank failure could cause panic in the banking system in general, the Fed had to fire up the printing presses once again to the tune of about $300 billion that we know of to bail out these banks. Some of that money, as it always seems to, found its way into the stock market. The stock market is the playground of the financial system and give a bank a few billion and like a kid flush with cash going to the candy store, the banks can't wait to plow at least some of it into Wall Street to relish the sweet taste of quick profits. Sickening, I know. First, Washington fights the Fed's efforts by giving away even more trillions, and now Powell is forced to fire up the presses to save some careless banks. It's no wonder the stock market has been running the last few months. Is it a coincidence that the latest rally in the stock market coincided with the Fed bailing out all those banks? I have always said there is no such thing as coincidence where Wall Street is concerned. There are only people that know things before you do and then make money from it. I will stand by my prediction that inflation is here to stay and won't go away anytime soon. The reason is simple and history confirms it. When the Feds raise interest rates, they have a history of breaking something. In fact, it is said the Feds raise rates until they finally do break something. And when they break something, they have to back off the inflation battle and start lowering rates and printing money again to unbreak what they broke. Indeed, they have already broke a few banks and opened the money spigots in response. Next up, they will probably break something else before they are forced to lower rates again. And when they do that, they will print up even more money and hammer down rates once again. And I predict they will do that before inflation has a chance to recede to a meaningful level. Which means I hope you have stocked up on aspirin, because besides the headaches you're going to get, a new bottle of aspirin by that time is going to cost you 20 bucks or more. I'm watching the market so you don't have to, and that concludes today's Money Matters. Remember, this newscast expresses my opinion only and is not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any securities, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff members, or underwriters. I hold the Bachelor of Arts in Economics with Honors, 1979, in California Insurance License, OL34249. I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California, and our website is moneymanagementradio.com, our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast for Tuesday, June 6th. KVMR gets support from Sierra College Nevada County Campus, offering degrees, educational programs, and training for a job or a career. 
Fall semester registration is now open with online registration at sierracollege.edu slash you can. And MEC Builds, Nevada County roofing contractor with over 20 years of experience, providing complete roofing services, gutter products, sun tunnels, and skylights. The showroom is at 316 Colfax Avenue in Grass Valley. MECbuilds.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.